I love the Christmas carols. That's my, uh, I think that's my favorite part of the Christmas Eve service every single, every single year. It's the, it's the carols, right? It's the, the hymns that we get to sing. And they're special because we don't sing them any other time of the year, right? I don't know why, because some of them are really, really good. They have some great lyrics, and some of them just hold such biblical, they're just packed with such biblical truth. Um, but uh, I, I love the songs. Everybody has a favorite. Usually if you ask somebody, what's your favorite Christmas carol? Somebody, somebody shout out your favorite Christmas carol. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. Holy, Silent Night? Silent Night. Oh, Holy Night. I'll be home for Christmas. Oh, that's right. What's that? Mary, did you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. See, there's modern carols, modern hymns, too, that we sing. Oh, man. My favorite, uh, I think, is of all time is Little Drummer Boy. That's my favorite Christmas carol. And my favorite rendition of Little Drummer Boy is, uh, is a heavy metal version from the 80s, because that's when the music was the best, uh, by this band Whiteheart that probably nobody remembers anymore. Anybody remember Whiteheart? Anybody out there? Um, yeah, they had this really cool rockin', rockin version. Um, but that's, that's what I think of when I think of, of like the ultimate carol, Little Drummer Boy. Tonight, I want to talk about a Christmas carol, and it might be one, it's one in particular, and it might be one that I think you, you might not have ever heard sung before. In fact, I'm pretty sure you haven't heard this one sung, because this one is found in the Bible, a Christmas carol in the Bible. And uh, it, it's one of the first recorded hymns about Jesus and his birth. It's recorded on paper, of course. We don't get to hear what it was like, what it was like when those first Christians like gathered secretly and, and sang these songs about Jesus. But we can read it, and the words are pretty stunning. And in fact, there's a couple of these carols that we have in the Bible. One's in the book of Philippians. The other, ones would, the other one which we're going to look at tonight is in Colossians chapter 1. And the Apostle Paul is in the middle of writing a letter to the, to the church there, and he breaks out into this song. I, and we really don't know if he is composing this, like right on the spot, by, you know, under inspiration, if he's composing this for the first time, or if he is reciting something that was well-known at the time. Maybe it was a song that like the churches had begun to sing, and so it was well-known. We don't know, but he writes these lyrics. And um, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to read it all the way through, and then we'll back up and we'll, we'll unpack just a couple of really key beautiful truths that we find in this song. So let's dive into it. And keep in mind, this would have been sung, and it would have been sung in in Greek. So we have to use our imagination a little bit. Here we go. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And I don't know if it sounds like a Christmas carol yet so far. Again, I told you you have to use your, your imagination. It doesn't rhyme in the English, but I'm telling you, in the Greek, it's got rhyme in, it's, ryth- it's got rhythm, you can dance to it, baby. It's good. It's, this is a good, good song. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's talking about Jesus. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things. I just want to say that again. He's going to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, that is some lyrics to a Christmas carol, right? I'm telling you what, it is so beautiful. Now, we just have a few minutes here, uh, so we don't have time to dive into it like we would on a Sunday morning um, fully, but there are two really mind-blowing truths that I just love. They're just hidden in this song I want to look at, and, and these two truths can change the way you look at Christmas forever. The first secret here is found in the very first sentence, and it is that Jesus reveals God with us. Jesus comes and he reveals God with us. He shows us what God is like. He is literally God with us. In, Matthew, uh, in Matthew's gospel, the writer quotes an ancient Old Testament prophecy from seven, 700 years prior to Jesus, where he says, and they will call Jesus Emmanuel, which is the Hebrew for God with us. So Jesus reveals to us who God really is. He reveals to us who God really is. This, we, we don't take this for granted. Because see, the whole world, up until that point, still to this day, operates under these incredible misconceptions of who God is. These misconceptions we've had for thousands of years. And Jesus comes and He reveals God in the flesh. He reveals God's face for the first time. He reveals God's heart. And so this line in the first Christmas carol says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Now, this word image here in the Greek, it's the Greek word icon, and it means icon. It means icon. It really does, which, which means something that shows you something. It shows you something else, and Jesus is the icon of God. It's just amazing. You know, I could tell you a lot of stories about uh, my wife, Melissa. I could tell you stories about my, my three beautiful children, I could tell you stories about my really cute puppy dog, Gus. Um, I thought about how cool it would be to bring him here so you could really see Gus in the flesh. So many of you hadn't got to meet Gus yet, but he would be so excited and he would pee all over everything. And so <laughs> the team said, Scott, no, that's not a good idea. So we didn't do that. But just, you, you know, you can imagine, I could tell you all about, I could tell you about these, these members of my family. Um, but you never really know them unless you met them in person, uh, unless, you, unless you met Melissa. You'd never really, you, words can't do her justice. What an amazing person she is. And Jesus does more than just come and point to a picture of God. I could even show you pictures of my family and my dog on my phone, but even that wouldn't do it justice. Jesus does more than that. He actually brings to us God in the flesh so we can see him. So see, Jesus isn't he doesn't make God just a theory. He's, he's someone who lived among us in the flesh. He's recorded in history, flesh and blood. He's not in mythical form or like metaphorical theory or something like that. He is in a form that we can understand. That's our human form. We can wrap our minds around that. Jesus reveals God to us so that we can see him and know what he's like. We can know what God's like. Now, that's a good question. What is God like? What is God like? What do you think God is like? So your answer to that question probably depends on things maybe 
up to now in your life you've heard about God or you've learned about God or maybe things you know about Jesus already. Maybe, you know, you've been a Christian for a while and you know all about Jesus, so you know what God is like. But let's pretend that you've never heard of Jesus. You've never known anything about Jesus. And so you don't know anything about what God is like. And, and maybe you just had a sense that there's a creator. You know, you just, you walked out like men, mankind have walked outside under the stars for thousands and thousands of years and just says, I think there's, there's somebody there. There's a creator there. Somebody who's made this world. There's some higher force maybe or something. What do you think you would assume about that creative force? What would you assume that God is like? Well, maybe the first thing you might do, like we said, is look at uh, nature. So you'd walk out and you look at nature and you think, well, if this creative force created nature, what does that mean he's like? Well, there's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of creativity in nature. But there's a lot of suffering in nature, too. There's a lot of killing in nature, too, right? If you ever watch, like, animal shows in Africa, right? Something's always eating something, right? So you might not be too sure. Or you might look around at different world religions. I'm going to look at the world religions and say, what are the world religions showing me about God? And sure, there's a lot of beauty. You'd say, man, there's a lot of beauty and creativity in these world religions. And there's a lot of killing and suffering, too especially when you look back through history. Hmm. So maybe you would say, okay, you know what? I I think we should just read the Bible. Let's just stick to the Bible, and then we'll see what God is like. We'll read the Bible. And you know what? There's a lot of beauty in the Bible. There's a lot of creativity in the Bible. And depending on which page you flip on, there's a lot of killing too, right? There's a lot of suffering in the Bible. But here's the thing. The Bible points us to Jesus, It points us to Jesus. The Old Testament points forward as as prophecy and promise. And and the New Testament reflects back on Jesus as as this anchor point in history where we can see what God is like. And then when we look at Jesus, if he really shows us what God is like, well, then we can say, well, does Jesus kill anybody? Does Jesus cause suffering? No, never. Jesus shows us clearly a a God who loves. He shows us a God who forgives, who embraces everybody, who makes time for people, even people who were the most lonely, the people who were the friendless, the people who were rejected by other people. Jesus says, I want to be your friend. Let's hang out together. That's the God that Jesus shows us. So this first sentence in this hymn is pretty life-changing. And and goodness, there's so much to unpack in the rest of this this hymn. Uh, I want to unpack it with you. I want to go through it with you. But we've got little kids here who are sitting on their hands right now, and they have like sugar plum dreams and candy canes floating around in their heads. So I know we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. So we're going to move from the first sentence to the last sentence. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So our first truth was that God reveals, or Jesus reveals God with us. The last revelation we see here is that Jesus reunites us with God. Jesus reveals God with us and he reunites us with God. Yes, Jesus has come as the icon of God, 
God in the flesh, to show us what he's really like, to let us see God and see how much he loves us, to, to really see this, to how much, how much he's not a God who just wants to judge us or, or just be angry with us. Jesus says, I haven't come to judge. I've come to bring life, his very words. And so he shows us this God of love, but he doesn't stop there because Jesus also wants to scoop us up with him and take us to be closer to God. Some of us, even we've heard of God, we know about God, we might have grown up hearing all about God, but we want to keep our distance. We like to hang out kind of over here a little bit because we're still skeptical. We're really not sure, right? Maybe Jesus made us, maybe he didn't. Maybe he's the source of life, maybe he's not. Maybe, maybe he shows us what God is like and maybe God is just much more of a, you know, a grumpy goat than Jesus lets on. Jesus shows us a God who doesn't kill to get his way. This God is willing to die because he loves you so much. Now, could that really be true? Some of us aren't so sure. But Jesus says, I'm not giving up on you, even if you're not sure. I'm not here to just bring God to you. I'm here to bring you to God. And that's what we read at the end of this very first Christmas carol, which says that through Christ, and catch this, through Christ, God is reconciling to himself all things. So Jesus now reunites us to God. God wants to reconcile us to him, himself. And if we're standing back and we're saying, I'm really not sure about God, Jesus is not giving up on you. He came to earth in human form. The same God who, who created us, who sustains us. He created the universe. He created the, the planet. He created everything that is. And he enters into that universe as a baby and grew up to be a man to show us God's love for us and then to teach him how to love him back. Uh, he's not giving up on us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, continually through our life, he's continually coming after us. He's continually coming after us to remind us of God's love. And he won't be content until he reconciles our relationship. So we've been alienated, we've been separated, and he wants to pull us together. That is his heart for us. That has always been his heart for us. By the way, whenever the Bible talks about reconciliation, it never talks about God reconciling himself to us. This is a major point, even though it's just a, a couple of in innocent little words. It never talks about God reconciling himself to us, but it's always us being reconciled to God. In other words, if there is a distance between us and God, it's not because of God. It's not on his, his end. He doesn't, need to, he doesn't need to reconcile himself to us. He doesn't need to be talked into this. He doesn't have to be talked into liking you, right? He loves us, and he has always loved us. He has always wanted a relationship with us. And sometimes Christians, we can, we can present the gospel in this weird way where it's kind of like, well, here's the deal. God was really angry, and he really didn't like anyone, uh, but Jesus died to calm down God, and so God wouldn't be so grumpy. This is like a version of the gospel that many of us have heard. No, 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 no. Remember, Jesus is the perfect image of God. 
He's the perfect representation. The book of Hebrews tells us, the writer of Hebrews says he's the perfect representation of the Father. And so Jesus didn't come to save us from God. He came to save us from us. To to save us from our sins, to show us how much God loved us with that self-sacrificial love. That, by the way, he calls all followers of Christ to follow him in, to show to others, whether friend or enemy, to show self-sacrificial love. So if we find ourselves far from God, it's not because God's mad. It's because we need to be reconciled to him through Christ. That's always been his goal. That's always been his goal. Now, how does God do this? It says that he does this by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This word peace, we've talked about this for a few weeks here in, on Sunday mornings at Generations. This word peace is, comes from the Hebrew word shalom, and shalom is something that it is just, it's so transcendent, it's so beautiful. Shalom means a coming together. It means nothing missing, nothing broken. At the time of Jesus, see, all world religions thought the gods always seem to be upset with us. Uh, they always seem to be upset with us about something we've done wrong. And so we've got to do something to make that right. And so religion said what you need to do is regularly make blood sacrifices, blood sacrifices, slaughter animals and offer it to their gods. That's what everybody did, whether it was in some pagan temple in Rome or in the temple in Jerusalem, they would make these sacrifices just to make sure they were getting on good terms with God. And it's this fear-based sort of uh, a process of just always feeling that you had to offer more, and always wondering, did I offer enough? Did I offer enough to atone? Did I offer? And maybe I need to offer more to make sure things are right between me and this God. And for a while, God even accommodates this seemingly human need to sacrifice. But Jesus comes on the scene, and he reveals that that was never actually God's preferred path to relationship. That was never his preferred path to relationship. When Jesus dies on that cross, he becomes the last sacrifice. The God who created us and the God who people thought demanded our blood to make things right was suddenly revealed to be the God who is love. God himself came down and said, let me show you my heart. I've tried to talk to you through the prophets. I've tried to talk to you through all the the, the writings and everything like that. Let me do this in person. Let me come show you who I really am. And he came and he lived this perfect life. And he died and became the last sacrifice. And he shed his blood. This isn't a God who requires more blood of ours. He shed his blood so that we don't have to do anything to try and make things right with him. So see... When we say God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, when we say that, we don't just mean that he's with you spatially, geographically, although that's true, he's omnipresent, but it also means that this is the God who is for you. He's with you. He's not against you. Jesus makes it really clear, once and for all, he comes, and that the time for sacrificing to appease angry gods is over. It's past. God's taken care of everything. Now, all we have to do is trust that it's true, and it will be true for us. We will be reconciled to God.
He's come to make peace. This shalom. He reunites us with God. We are no longer at war with God. You no longer have to struggle to get close to God. He has come to you. God with us. And he's made a way for us to be with God. Well, that's the end of the the Christmas carol. Uh, But then the Apostle Paul, he adds one more thought. In in the time we have left, I want to talk to you about one more thought. In the very next verse, verse 21, this isn't part of the song. Now he's kind of back in his, his prose. He's just talking to the people. And he says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. (laughs) Wow, that's good news. That's good news to a person like me, that God has made me free from accusation. We call that the gospel. Now that's the gospel. Once you were alienated, you were estranged from God, you were enemies with God, but even there, that's because of our thinking. Do you see what he says? Not, it's not because of what God was thinking. He says, you were alienated in your minds. It's all, it was on our end. But Jesus now has come, and he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Notice, he makes you holy. He makes you clean. He cleans you up. He gives you a fresh start without blemish, free from accusation. Can God make it any more clear to us than what he did on that first Christmas night? He's not mad at you. He's not condemning you. He's come. He came to Bethlehem that you could live free of accusation, free of finger pointing. Instead, he comes with open arms and he says, come on in, bring it in. I love you. Do you get it now? Do you get it? Jesus left the glory of heaven. He had it pretty good. He was God. He left all that to come and be born as a baby in the dust of poverty and oppression, born into a society that that was being oppressed by the empire of Rome. And he came to enter into our pain and our suffering with us. God with us. And he's come with you. He's come to reunite you with God. God with us. God come to reunite you with God. That's this God. Christmas is the time we sing and we celebrate this. I don't want us to take it for granted. It's so easy for us to take it for granted because it's beautiful. There's so many things. There's so many lights. There's so many sounds and things to, to notice. And those are beautiful things, the part of the season, the Christmas holiday. But don't take for granted that amazing miracle of this God who's come to be with us and help us to be with God. Faith isn't all about knowing all the answers. Trust me, it's not about knowing all the answers and having it all figured out. You probably won't ever have all the answers and have it all figured out. That's not what faith is all about. Faith is simply saying, I trust this man born as a baby. I trust Jesus. 
I take him at his word that I am free from accusation and I'm going to run towards God and not away from him anymore. Amen.